Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. And a very good Tuesday morning to you on the 14th of July, Bastille Day for all of the French who are listening and are with us today. Happy Bastille Day. Uh, Bernie is taking your calls at 0818103103. Anything you want to share with us, we'd love to hear from you. You can text her WhatsApp 0862103103. And another fabulous weather forecast for us today. Nice uh, sunny spells and temperatures, highs of around 23 uh, degrees. And of course, um, all of the newspapers today are carrying the warning that Ireland is facing a very significant heat event that will have a significant impact on many people with Met Aaron issuing a high temperature warning and this high temperature warning is for the entire country. The warning uh, came into effect yesterday afternoon and it remains in place for a full seven days. Temperatures are set to hit to the high 20s. It could even hit 30 degrees in some areas and the particularly hot days are going to be between are going to be Sunday Monday and Tuesday of next week. Met Aaron said while we are unlikely to get an actual heat wave. Now what do they deem an actual heat wave? A heat wave is when the mercury exceeds 25 degrees but it must do it for five consecutive days. So they're not expecting that to happen. What they are expecting to happen is a short lived but very hot spell that will run through three days Sunday, Monday and Tuesday and then they're expecting Wednesday to be the more seasonal levels of temperatures for this time of year. Uh, So they're saying for Sunday, Monday and Tuesday we can at least expect temperatures 
28, 29, but they could even go to 30 degrees. And with the hot daytime temperatures, we're also going to have tropical nights. Uh, they reckon during the over those three nights, Sunday, Monday and uh, Tuesday, overnight temperatures won't dip below 20 degrees Celsius. And uh, there's times during the summer where if we got 20 degrees during the day, we'll be thinking, isn't that nice and warm? But overnight, it certainly will be. There'll be humid, hot, sticky nights. If you've got a fan, I take it you can't buy fans anywhere. Is there a run on the fans? Uh, I, I know whenever we get hot weather talk to the electrical shops they say they just can't keep fans on the shelf everybody rushes out to buy them maybe you have one already then you stuck it up in the attic because we don't need we don't get that many days of the year in which you need to use a fan so if you, if you have a fan get it out and make sure that it's working because I think you're going to need it across next week 0818103103 Bernie taking your calls yesterday on the programme we had referenced the government and the coalition government and how they had won the no confidence motion that had been put by the Sinn Féin party this week well any of the coalition party members picking up the Irish Times newspaper today as they're about to head off on their holidays and their summer recess won't be too pleased because support for the coalition has slumped in recent months. Rising cost of living obviously is really having an impact and this is the latest Irish Times Ipsos opinion poll. Fianna Fáil, they've dropped by three points. Uh, they're down to 20%. That's their, their last poll from the Irish Times was carried out in April. So between April and uh, July, because this poll was carried out uh, between the 10th and 12th of July. So between April and July, uh, Fianna Fáil have dropped three points to 20%. Fianna Gael have gone four, four fallen by four uh, points. So Fianna Gael are now at its lowest ratings in this series of opinion polls since 1994. Satisfaction with the government and the leaders also taking a bit of a nosedive. The government rating has fallen by 12 points from 43% of people happy with the government in April. It's at 31% today and that is actually the lowest rating for this coalition government since it was formed two years ago. The Taoiseach Micheál Martin his satisfaction rating has also dropped. He's dropped by 11 points to 40%. The Thornish Daly of Varadkar, his approval slump uh, is uh, 12 points down from 48% to 36%. Eamon Eamon Ryan of the Greens, his rating went from 19% to 15%. And the biggest winners yet again in this opinion poll uh, is Sinn Féin. They have seen their support grow by 3 points to 36%. That's the highest level since this series of opinion Opinion polls started and support for the party is now more than 40% among those under the age of 34. So the younger demographics very much uh, backing Sinn Féin and then the party leader Mary Lou, she sees her approving approval rating rise marginally to 43%. Some of the smaller opposition parties, by the way, in the independents, they also saw their support grow. So the state of the parties, when you take undecided voters and those people who are unlikely uh, to vote are excluded, it's as follows. So the, the, it's a kind of a good snapshot if there was to be an opinion 
if there was to be an election today and the election was to follow the results of this opinion poll, this is how the state of the parties would be. Sinn Féin would be on 36% up three. Fianna Fáil would be on 20% down three. Fianna Gael would be on 18%, that's down four. The Green Party's 3%, no change for the Greens. Labour, 4%, no change. And the Independents and others have done well. They would be, they're on 20 points, which is up 5%. The poll results suggest the mood in the country is growing more negative against the coalition uh, government and that has got to do with the cost of living pressures and the cost of living pressures are mounting almost on a daily basis. The people who were polled, were surveyed, were, were asked if the country is generally going in the right direction or is it going in the wrong direction. 60% of the people who were surveyed said the country is going in the wrong direction. Only 30% said it was going in the right direction. Seven out of 10 voters say they expect the economic situation to get worse in the next 12 months. And then they were asked about the rising cost of living and how and if the rising costs were having any effect on their day-to-day lives. Almost half of the voters, 49%, said it had made high cost of living had made it a lot more difficult and they were finding it a lot more difficult to manage financially. Uh, Only 10% said they were not having any difficulties at all. The poll also suggests there is a strong desire for political change. Asked about their attitudes to change in the way the country is run, 38% favoured radical change. 47% said they were in favour of moderate change and just 11 said they would be wary of any change. And the result, of course, comes as it will certainly come as a blow to the coalition parties opening their papers this morning with their breakfast because they were on a bit of a high because they'd won the confidence vote in the Dáil on on Tuesday night and then Thursday morning they see this in the paper so they're going to be breaking up for their summer at recess and with that floating around in their minds so they may not have the happiest of summer months for the coalition parties 0818 103 103 Bernie's taking your calls you can text or WhatsApp to 0862 103 103. Now, some of you commenting on that, the latest Irish Times Ipsos uh, poll, which is certainly showing bad news for the coalition, but showing good news for Sinn Féin and the smaller independent parties and the independent uh, TDs. Uh, Benny said, not surprised at all with the results. Uh, listening to you calling them out this morning, uh, Patricia, is this poll not telling us clearly and not telling the government clearly that we need an election? Morning, Patricia, says this texter. I hope Michael Martin is listening to those uh, stats. So I don't know if Michael Martin has listened to me this morning, but he certainly will be reading it it's all across the front page of the Irish Times and I think for the leaders themselves their personal satisfaction level I take it is the one that would most affect him I mean to see Micheál Martin drop by 11 points in this survey since last April and he's now at 40% uh, and he's been overtaken by Mary Lou Macdonald who went up by one and she's at 43% and Leo Varadkar, he dropped 12 points and he's down to uh, 36%. Uh, percent. So I take it on the personal ratings uh, they'd be gutted I would imagine by those uh, figures. Uh, Lehman Brough says Patricia we are only switching the chairs in the doll. we have too many TDs we only need about 30 people to run the show 
we need to take the focus away from Dublin but you see the number of TDs Liam as you're probably well aware is dictated by our constitution our constitution states how many how many TDs we must have per population and I think it's one for every 30,000 population and because our population went up in the last census it means that for for our next general election there will be even more TDs than what we have at the moment so I take it you're not going to be happy to hear that but that's that's the way it is. Now I think a lot of people will agree with you do we actually need that many for a country so small but if we were to change that we'd have to change it in the constitution in order to reduce the numbers of uh, TDs and at ministers and someone else by WhatsApp says isn't it crazy that over 30% of the people that were surveyed for that opinion poll actually think the government are doing a good job are they living on a different planet and that was the question is the gov- is the country going in the right direction 60% felt the country wasn't going in the right direction but what this listener is picking up on are the 30% of people who were surveyed who said yes they do think the country is going in the right direction 0818 103 103 Bernie's taking your calls you can text her WhatsApp 0862 103 103 Record today on C103 Call Patricia with your comment 0818 103 103 Now with the government proposing to introduce new solid fuel regulations which will bring an end to the sale of smoky coal a lot of attention has gone on the burning and cutting of turf with people who have turpidity rights being told they will be able to continue using and selling or gifting turf to family and friends. But what about the cost of coal in all of this and by how much will it go up by? Fine Gael Senator Tim Lombard says he's particularly concerned at the smoky coal ban and the effects that it will have. Uh, Senator Tim Lombard joins me. Good morning to you, Tim. Good morning. And I really am glad to see you raise uh, this because I I am right in saying that most of the attention is on turf and not many people are talking about how coal prices will rise and already appear to be rising before the the ban even comes in. We are always getting calls in from listeners to say that when they've ordered a bag of coal, they can't get over how much it's gone up by. Yeah, and I think the price of your bag of coal in the last 12 months has gone from anything from 16 to 18 euros a bag up to 33 to 36 euros a bag, and it's a potential to go up by another 3 or 4 euros. So it's literally a 100% increase, and it's probably going to be, it's, it's far from a luxury. This is something people buy because they need to stay warm. So it's probably one of the biggest significant issues we're going to deal with in the next six months, to say the very least. Now, I know that temperatures are at 30 degrees and talking about cold is a bit unusual but what's going to happen next September next October next November is literally only 8 or 9 weeks away when you come to the budget itself and we need to have a really sustainable package put in place or I would be genuinely fearful on how we're going to have a cohort of our society that depend on solid fuel and don't have the ability to change their methods of heating in the short term how they're going to be grossly affected by this huge increase in the product. Now, I mean, everybody accepts that we want to be environmentally friendly as we can and we know that there are health issues uh, with smoky coal and, and smoky fuels and, you know, I mean, everybody accepts uh, that that's the right thing to do. But w- there will always be families who will only have an open fire to heat their homes. Yes, and I think that's the key issue and I think... This kind of emerged on the turf thing maybe a few months ago when there was a proposed ban on 
turf being burnt in key locations says you're 500 people. I think there'll be new legis- or new guidelines brought out in that in the next maybe two or three days, which will clarify it. So there'll be no major change regarding the turf issue. But regarding the smoky coal issue, it's probably going to be bigger. I think the smoky coal issue is probably going to have a ban put in place maybe by the start of, well, towards the end of this year. But the big issue here is going to be the cost of even the smokeless coal. Smokeless coal today has gone up by 100% to where it was last year. And I'll give you an example. Like, you take your usual St. Vincent de Paul. Um, they would maybe give four bags of coal to an elderly um, family and per month. The cost of that for St. Vincent de Paul or another agency of that nature to, to actually do is huge. It's, it's actually 100% increase in their cost base. So we have a huge issue on our charities and how they're going to deal with the huge sector of society that they deal with on a monthly and weekly basis. And they're basis. already under huge pressure, Tim. I, I hadn't thought about that now until until you've said it. And we have spoken with the societies of Vincent de Paul. I mean, they're seeing a huge increase in calls for, for food items at the moment. So they're already under pressure. But, but you're right, they heat a lot of homes every they year. They do. And they certainly heat an awful lot of homes in rural areas of a generation. And my mother would always say to me, it's that widow that had a double income going to the house. Somebody dies, they're a widower, widower then, and their income is slashed by half. They're the cohort of people in society are so grossly affected. And then usually you'd have an agency as Vincent Paul would step into the actual remit and help them out. But like their cost base is literally going to go up by 100% on what's being proposed at the moment. And like we'll need to have a social welfare package that we've never seen before in the third week of September to support these people. Or I actually don't know how we're going to survive regarding support these people in the next six or eight months. Because and those, there's going to be no change here in the price of fuel. It's yeah, going one way. And those who uh, get the fuel allowance, and of course we're always a pains to point out that not everyone on a social welfare payment gets the uh, fuel allowance and not every pensioner gets the fuel allowance because it's so strictly uh, means tested. The, even the even the fuel allowance and there was you know there was there was generous top ups of the fuel allowance at the, this year and last year they're going to go nowhere near covering people who solely rely on coal. Oh, nowhere near. Like like the costings of this. If you were to use, let's say, a bag and a half, two bags um, a week, that's a potential eighty euros cost to heat your home. Like. It's very, very, very hard for any family or for any individual, and I keep on going back to that widower or widower, how they would survive in that kind of scenario if they're on a state pension. It just couldn't be feasible. And that is a massive issue. And look, we raised it with the, we had a parliamentary party meeting too, actually, yesterday. I raised it at both those meetings about this issue itself because the cost of living crisis for that side of society is huge. And unless we start, and it's bizarre talk about it with 30 degree heat coming, but unless we forward plan for this issue next September, October, November, I'll have a cohort of my constituents who will be in ferocious mess. Yeah, and we'll be we'll you'll be back on here, and we'll be talking about it. I think uh, every every day, uh, because we'll be inundated with with people raising uh, the issue. And you know, just two, I think I really do think, and I can understand why 
constituencies in the turf cutting stronghold. I can understand why those uh, TDs and senators were raising uh, the the issue, but I really do think just too much emphasis has gone on turf sales and the the coal side of it has almost been forgotten about. And a lot of the elderly people that we're talking about live in older homes, the ones that rely on uh, coal. Could more grants be put in place to try to help those people retrofit their homes? Yeah, the problem with that, and I think the grant system is a we're putting a billion euros into grants. It's a significant pot of money. But like there's a time span here. It's going to take anything from two to three to four years for the cohort these houses to be retrofitted. And this is the time lap that we're in. Like this is a, literally a crisis eight or nine weeks away. And we need to do more with grants, definitely. And I think we're putting an awful lot of money into it. We need to get more builders actually involved in the actual schemes itself, which are really positive schemes. But unfortunately, uh, the cohort of people that I talk to are probably not in that space at the moment. They're probably not in the same headspace as other parts of society. Like, the people who are taking up these grants at the moment are usually middle, you know, middle-aged people that have some money behind them already and are willing to do more with their house. Like, I'm really conscious for their, our older section of society that probably are living day-to-day, that probably have bills, that probably need support from charities. They're not in that space. And I think the local authority is going to have to play a major role with their grant schemes about changing them to make sure they can come into the space to do the retrofitting for them. Because I don't think, in fairness to some people in society, they would have the whereabouts to start to go get a builder, to get out the loan, to do everything. I think our local authority is going to be a really important part in that one. And I think that's where, how we're going to make sure that these grants are rolled out to that older section of society. And we and we live in dread if we get a very cold spell this winter. I mean, you know, and people die from hypothermia. You know, let's call a spade a spade. It, it does happen. If you go camping tomorrow morning, like you're going to go into houses that the fire is lighting at 11 o'clock in the morning. Yeah, yeah. And that happens on a daily basis. And that's exactly what people do. These are people, how they live, how they survive. And they use solid fuel, whether it's timber, whether it's coal, whether, whatever it is, on a daily basis. Yeah, but it, ha- it happened. I was talking about it in June. I couldn't believe it because we had some very chilly days uh, in June. And I couldn't get over the amount of smoke coming out of people's chimneys as I was coming to work in the morning or if I, if I was heading home. I couldn't get over You know, there was still people burning fuel who, who normally wouldn't be if we got a mild June. So, you know, they... I think that's how so many people know the price of coal and then you've got others who are trying to stock up bless their hearts to try and you know build up to have extra coal coming into the uh, winter months so it definitely is an issue that will have to be uh, addressed and just Tim while I have you on the the programme I actually opened the programme by mentioning it today the Irish Times Ipsos opinion poll out today that's worrying for the coalition isn't it? Yeah, look, it's been an amazing maybe 10 or ten or 12 days in politics. We've had um, legal issues have been cleared up by the DPP. We've had a vote of no confidence. We've had a member of the uh, Fianna Gael party leave the actual government. And, like, the amazing figure that I got out of all these ups and downs was we won the vote of no confidence by 19 votes. I would have thought that was an amazing figure. And then, then the poll arrives last night. So these polls go up and down. I think there'll be a change in leadership, obviously, by the end of the year regarding who's in charge or, or who's going to be Taoiseach. And I think that's going to give us a platform for the next two years to go forward. 
But I do think Ireland 19, winning the actual vote in the conference by 19 votes, would give me great confidence that this government will go full term and go all the way to actually 2024. But do you not need to have the people with you? I mean, to hear 60% of people surveyed saying that the country is going in the, is going in the wrong direction. Yeah, and the way I often thought about that was if you look at the last general election cycle, the local elections, which is six months before the general election, uh, Sinn Féin absolutely did terrible. They lost the majority of their seats around the country six months later. They had a ferocious result when it came to the general election. So there's peaks and there's troughs in this game, and it's about, you know, getting a kind of ride out the storm and seeing where this goes. And like as society and as people, whether it's been COVID, whether it's been the war, whether it's been the pandemic, we've been through so much in the last two years. And I do think people are generally worn out from it, uh, worn out from where we are regarding the whole ups and downs of society. And what but we it's need the cost of living. It's the cost oh, of living exactly. increases. That's and I think that is, a, and we just spoke about it, that's probably the key issue in our society, without a shadow of a doubt. A lot of them are external issues, a lot of them are war-related issues. And I think there's going to be, you know, a major package of significant billions put in place in next September to help society, to help our people, to make sure we can actually survive this very, very turbulent time. OK, well, that can't, can't come soon enough for some, Tim. Listen, pl- uh, thank you for that and thanks for joining us on the programme. Thank you. Good morning to you. That is uh, Fine Gael, Senator Tim Lombard on the price of coal. 0818 103 103. Bernie's taking your calls. You can text, you can WhatsApp 0862 I recently spoke with the Environmental Protection Agency about the number of septic tanks that had failed inspections last year. But with so few septic tanks expected every year, are those figures just simply the tip of the iceberg? Fianna Fáil Councillor Ian Doyle feels the Department of Environment run scheme needs to be looked at and he joins me to explain more. Good morning to you, Ian. Morning, Patricia. And you, you? I'm very well and you're welcome to the programme. Now, the EPA outlined if you failed the inspection, you can avail of grants when I asked them about the cost of fixing any of those uh, septic tanks. They said, oh, look, there's grants available. But that's where the problem lies. The grants that's- are only for those who fail an inspection. That's it, that's it, Patricia. And I suppose the, the thrust of my motion is what you said there already, but you were on to the EPA. Uh, there was a report done a fortnight ago released that 53% of septic uh, tanks inspected failed the uh, failed the criteria. Now, that, they were then eligible for the grant system. Now, there was a register done in 2013, and there's estimated to be over 500,000 septic tanks in the country. Now, I'm not saying that the 500,000 septic tanks are, are not up to spec, but certainly there are, certainly in rural Ireland, uh, when the bungalows started to come in in the 1960s, 1970s, all these bungalows in the outskirts of our villages and towns and in the country areas had to have a septic tank. They were of their time and they were perfect, but a lot of these are now in need of repair. And what I'm suggesting is like that people do want to repair them, but the cost is prohibitive. Plus, also, you need to be an ad hoc inspection to get the grant. So I am asking, you know, I'm asking the Environment Committee of Car County Council, which they agreed to write to the minister to just open up that grant system. It's not going to break the bank. Uh, the grant system currently is 80% or a €5,000 cap. Uh, that needs to be increased because certainly I, the pricing that I have got to, to fully replace 
septic tanks is in the region of 10 to 12,000 euros. Wow. I, I think people would be willing to do that if the grant system was was increased. And certainly it would help our environment and help our, our green energy certainly um, hugely. So that's that was the trust of my motion. Yeah, and, and, and I do believe that there are people who know that there's something wrong with their septic tank, but they just don't have the wherewithal financially in order to replace it. And I know every time I do an interview with the EPA on their septic tank and the inspections and septic tanks failing, we inevitably will get calls in from people saying, how can I go about getting an inspection? You can't just sign up for an inspection. No, that, that's correct. Yeah, you, you, you need to be in, in the Cork County Council, as in other councils, there is a high risk area in, in some of the areas that if you're by a river or you're by a stream or if you're in a water course. And on those high risk areas, they, you, you can apply for an inspection. But outside those high risk areas, and as I say, a lot of our bungalows were on outside, in, in outside the country in farms and in side roads, which are outside the high risk area. People want to replace their tanks. They know exactly that they are leaking, but the, the cost is prohibited. And what I'm saying is that the, the grant system, there's a very effective grant system now for the seal grant, which is the retrofit, and it's up to the, from your previous conversation. Uh, the retrofit scheme is, is, is more than uptake at the moment. In fact, there's a waiting list. And it's a very simple system. You, do, you just apply for a grant, and if you're, if you're allocated the money, I think the same should tanks. If, if you have a 40 septic tank, you apply for uh, a grant and if you're past grant, you go ahead and you get the, the job done. There was, uh, did I read there was only 90 inspections took that's place? In, oh, yeah, that's they, they a drop in the ocean. A drop in the ocean. The inspection rate is very, very small. Now, as I say, there is 500,000 registered septic tanks since 2013. Not all of those are faulty. There's no question about that. But there are quite a few back from the 60s and 70s. There are instances in repair. And uh, I think that we should just, just open up the grant system and increase it as well for, from now on. Do, do you think the Department of Environment need to look at maybe doing more inspections as well? Could that yeah, help? I, most definitely, most definitely. And there was a there was a there was a call pushed to our environmental committee to bring it up at the next environment meeting uh, because we we definitely need to inspect more. But we need to inspect outside the high risk areas. Uh, I mean, there are. If there's a limited number in the high-risk area, which is, as I say, as in watercourses and beside rivers. But there are 95% of the bungalows and the septic, or two-storey houses as well, that require septic tanks are outside that high-risk area, and they need to be inspected as well. Yeah. But, I think, but I think that, like, you know, regardless of the inspection, there should be a grant system available so that you apply for. And fair enough, if you apply for the grant and somebody comes out and has a look at the, the septic tank, if it's not, then you get the grant. Mm. And that grant, is that strictly means-tested as well? Well, thankfully, that has changed. Oh, great. It was, it was means-tested, but the means-test has been dropped. So uh, at least that has, that there has been improvements on the grant system, definitely, yeah. Oh, yeah. that's good, because, because I, I, uh, people are struggling. They are, yeah, but the threshold is very low. The threshold now, because of material costs and because of labour costs, the threshold is very low. There's a maximum, it's 80% or a maximum of €5,000. And as I say, it's €12,000 today's estimate to replace a full septic tank. Because when when I had the inspector on from the EPA, he was saying as well that sometimes there can be a simple solution, like the septic tank needs to be desludged. And and I I clearly remember him saying a fortnight ago, and that costs about €200. I got inundated with people saying, I don't know where he's getting his desludging done. That's even gone up in cost. It's gone up hugely, yeah, yeah, hugely. And I mean, that desludging, I mean, 
he's right. A lot of the septic tanks uh, need to be dislodged. But, I mean, I'm talking about the, the septic tanks that are 30 and 40 years yeah. old. I mean, dislodging is not going to work with them. They just need a whole new proper system. And people want to put in a proper system. I mean, if you're going around, particularly facing the weather that we're going to face, thankfully, for the next week, uh, you'll get the septic tank and and you're living beside it because it's beside your property. Yeah, yeah, and nobody wants that. Yeah. And do do you and a lot of your fellow councillors hear from constituents who actually know their septic tanks are malfunctioning? Yeah, well, I won't say we're inundated, but certainly there was a huge volume of calls since I was elected to know, is there a grant available for septic tank, for, for septic tank replacement? And you just have to tell the people that you, you wait for an inspection and if you fail the inspection, you get a grant, which is totally unacceptable, to be honest with you. There was a similar system to put in a well, in uh, put in uh, water wells in houses. Uh, there was a grant. There wasn't a grant system available for that. That now is changed and there is a grant system where it's a simple system where you apply for a grant and if you need the well and if you fit the criteria then you get the grant. Okay, so uh, how, hope, how hopeful no, are you that it will be introduced? And I just would like just from your previous uh, item, I mean we are facing a winter of unbelievable hardship in terms of the coal uh, prices, mm. energy and things like that. So I think, you know, this is a small this is a small uh, grant system that, that, that can be increased and, as I said, it won't break the bank, but it will help towards the environment, definitely. So you've written, as a council, have you written to the we're, Minister? We're, we've written to the Minister for the Environment. Okay. We we've written to the Minister for the Environment and the Minister for Housing and our own Environment Committee is going to take it up as well. OK, we, we, will, uh, we will await the response. And just while I have you on, as you say, you've referenced the interview I did oh. with uh, Tim Lambert yeah. talking about the price of coal. This is your business, Steve. It is, yeah. How, yeah. Like, can, is coal increasing all the time? It's, it's, it's unbelievable for sure. I mean, I, and I just can't. And you see, we're facing the Nobody is, can foresee what's going to happen in September. There are people that depend on two and three bags of coal for heat. I mean, that is a fact. We Like uh, a bag of coal, which was 18 euros last, last September, is, not, is now going to be 35, 36, 37 euros. That's double. I, I, yeah, I mean, if, if, we put, if we put up the price of coal, I, I keep saying price of coal by about 10 cents a year ago that'd be holy murder it's gone up by a tenner now no one's even talking about it you know yeah. and we're not talking about it now because it's summer but come with the kids going back to school as you say you, you referenced that there are fires lighting from 10 o'clock in the morning Yeah, it's just going to be unachievable I mean the, the cost of living will not help that and uh, you know there's going to be a, have to be a huge social welfare increase one way or the other way is maybe defer the maybe defer it. I'd be shocked for saying this, but defer it until the, the the energy crisis comes down some small bit, because there are people out the country and in town that depend still on bituminous coal for a source of heat. There's no question about that. And there will. It's one of the points I made to Tim Lambert. There will always be people who will only have an open fire to heat their homes and who will always rely on coal. It's just a fact of life. It's a fact of my business. I mean, I see, I see it on a daily basis. No, it, it, it's decreasing. There's no question about it. But there are still, I mean, there are people that are still dependent on bituminous coal as a source of heat. And they won't, that won't be replaced anytime soon, you know. And because we don't know for sure when the smoky coal ban is coming in, and because there was yeah. so much discussion went on about sure. the burning yeah. of uh, the burning of, of turf, yeah. uh, from a from a coal merchant's point of view, how do you plan for the for, for ordering in if you don't know if you're going to be able to sell it or not? 
you don't really, to be honest with you, Patricia. We're assuming that there is a ban on selling uh, smoky coal from from September, and that's the assumption we're working on. And then uh, you you come to the cost that you're looking at a, a smokeless coal, which to my mind, heat-wise, is the inferior. No, it's not that terribly inferior, but from, from an open fire point of view, it is inferior. And uh, again, the, the availability of it, I mean, if everybody changes all of a sudden to the smokeless coal, that is, the smokeless coal is the manufacturer's product. We just won't be able to produce it to keep the, it keeps the demand going. And it is, it is more expensive than smokeless coal. Oh, and it is more expensive, yeah, and it is more expensive as well. Yeah. So there's, there's a cost involved. Uh, but, um, yeah, so and a lot of people, whenever we bring up about smokeless coal, will agree with you. We have a, a cohort of people who reckon it doesn't give out the same amount of no, heat. Not in an open fire so so we don't know for sure when but you're expecting it to come in is it around well, September it was, around September is the assumption and I presume that's going to happen but it's just the total I mean that the, the, the and uh, Tim again brought up about there and I'm very much involved in the society sentence I mean there is a huge I mean there are people that are dependent on coal deliveries from charities and from from people like ourselves and uh, again, that is going to be a double cost on uh, on, on already under pressure organisations. You know, yeah, so yeah. It really is going to be serious. Yeah. And who uh, who has never it, seen, by all accounts, your your no, oh, every no. single conference has never seen so many calls. No, it hasn't. No, it hasn't. No, and particularly in food, uh, which is incredible uh, for the last couple of months. You know, the food has been a huge item, and. Uh, from people that we, we have never seen before. Yeah, definitely. So sad, so sad. Okay, listen, Ian, thank you for that. Thank and you for uh, thanks yeah. uh, for joining us on the programme. Okay. Uh, that is uh, Fianna Fáil, Charleville-based uh, councillor Ian uh, Doyle, uh, 0818103103. Morris is annoyed that we're even talking about the cost of uh, living. Says, I'm sick listening. You're talking about the cost of living. If the cost of living is so bad, why are there queues at airports, shopping centres, hairdressers are uh, full and yet you have people giving out about the price and of bread and butter. Give us a break. (laughs) But you see, you're always going to have people, Morris, who the cost of living is not going to affect. People who have savings, people who uh, are earning enough. But unfortunately, the reality is that for a large cohort of people, they're not queuing at the airports. They're not going away on holidays. They're not at the shopping centre filling up their food baskets and buying whatever they want. They're not at the hairdressers every week getting their uh, hair cut. So I think when we're giving out about the cost of living, uh, we're doing it on behalf of those people who really are struggling at the moment. And obviously from your text, you're not struggling and that's fantastic and it is great for you. But please have respect for people who are finding it very, very difficult at the moment. Thank you for your WhatsApp to 0862 103 103. Let me look at some of your texts and comments coming into the programme this morning, uh, particularly people particularly people commenting about the Irish Times Ipsos opinion poll that's out this morning showing support for the coalition has slumped in recent months and is now at its lowest since the government was first formed two years ago and support and satisfaction rating in the leaders of the party have, as all certainly for Leo Varadkar and Micheál Martin and Eamon Ryan all uh, fallen. The only leader to go up was Mary Lou MacDonald of Sinn Féin and went up by one uh, point. Uh, a listener says definitely it's a referendum we need not a general election. We need a referendum in order to change the number of TDs that we elect to Dáil uh, Éireann. 
Uh, we should only have half the number of T's. We, TDs. Actually, says this texter, we don't need half the portfolios. It doesn't matter who is in government. Do the public realise that we've just come out of COVID? We've just come out of severe lockdowns. And then guess what happens? The war in Ukraine. Look how people managed back in the 80s. They were very, very tough times. The recession that people lived through back in the 80s and people didn't get the help that they got nowadays. Uh, people are just looking for too many handouts, I think is the thrust of that particular uh, text. Hi Patricia, this government hasn't a clue how to run a, a country. We're going down the uh, Swanee. We've been robbed blind. I feel politics, says John, is just simply not working anymore. They seem to be fooling the people. We're a great little country full of welcomes. We seem to have plenty of free money to go around but nothing to give to our own and others saying the same don't like the, the direction that this country is going in and then somebody who describes themselves as a Fianna Fáil voter all of their lives at 67 years of age I won't vote for them again I've always voted for them the country is going to rack and ruin my god what happened to the Fianna Fáil party that were always for the working class and the poor they are now the new Fianna Gael not happy with Fianna Fáil at all says this uh, texter and then some of your comments in Pat Infomoy says we are in a crisis when it comes to fuel to wages to housing to refugees to prices going up and still they the politicians are going away on their holidays for eight full weeks Sinn Féin wanted a general election this week and now they're all off on their holidays yeah, and, they, and you're right it is eight weeks they break up tomorrow which is the 15th of July and they're not due to sit again until the 15th of September even though TDs and ministers will say they do work throughout the uh, summer it's just the doll doesn't sit of course if the doll doesn't sit it means that legislation can't happen. Marie is in the north side of the city and she said listening to the debate in the doll on Tuesday members of the present government all appear to be very well educated and well able to talk but they don't seem to have any idea how the people are suffering at the moment they appear to be out of touch. Sinn Féin or the Labour Party would definitely look after the ordinary people much better. The government don't seem to realise just how much work has been done on the ground by volunteers. If volunteers stopped giving their time for free, this country really would be in dire straits. And I've often thought about that and we touched on the size of Vincent de Paul in both the two earlier uh, interviews this morning. Imagine if we didn't have St Vincent de Paul. Imagine if we didn't have Katrina Toomey and uh, Penny Dinners and the other charities like that. Where would we be? And look how many housing that are housing people. Look at the Simon community working with homeless people. You've got a Marine in the north side of the city is a valid point. If all of those volunteers decided that they weren't for, they wouldn't give up volunteers by their nature to do what they do out of a, a sense of, of duty, I think, and just a really high moral compass and wanting to help their fellow human beings. But if for whatever reason they were all forced to stop, where would we be is, is a really good question. Thank you for your call, Marie. Ted is in the city. He is a Fianna Fáil voter. He said, if Fianna Fáil tried to remove Hall Martin, it would be a bad, bad move for the party. He's an outstanding statesman, says Ted in the city. And then when we were talking about, you know, trying to retrofit your home to make it warmer so that you won't have to spend as much money on fuel. Martin 
Martin's in Blarney and he lives in a stone house that was built in 1840. He says it was built by the Blarney Woolen Mills people at the time. He applied for a grant to get what he called his house wrapped, which obviously would help to keep the heat in. But they don't give grants for stone houses. I didn't realise that. That's obviously another one of those anomalies that exists. And then a really good, this is a lengthy WhatsApp are well worth listening to. It's from Councillor Paul Hayes, the independent councillor down in West uh, Cork. And Paul says, morning Patricia, it's no surprise to see the results of the latest opinion polls highlight a drop in support for the government. During the pandemic, the public were very much willing to put on the green jersey, so to speak, and to adhere to government guidance and to fight COVID together and let everyday issues slide off the agenda so somewhat. They appreciated the financial supports to individuals and to businesses and we simply got on with life as best we could. Now that we are hopefully emerging from the pandemic, uh, issues like housing, health, the cost of living are all coming to the fore and rightly so. It was clear during the pandemic that major decisions could be made if the political will was there to do so. The public are now scrutinising government decisions and policies much more closely and they're demanding that action should be taken to cut taxes on fuel and essential grocery items. Issues like the exorbitant cost of insurance still has not been dealt with. Parents of children with disabilities and educational needs are having to fight for basic entitlements on a daily basis. Our hospitals, the A&E departments, our hard-working nurses and doctors are all at breaking point again when more staff and beds were promised year after year. Have we learned nothing from the whole COVID experience? While acknowledging our commitments to resolve the climate change crisis, punitive government taxes and penalties on fuel are causing more hardship for the most vulnerable in our society, that being the elderly and the poor, who very much rely on fossil fuels, those living in rural areas and our farming and fishing communities. All of this without providing workable alternatives. We all don't have the option of jumping on public transport to go to work or to go about our daily lives. There isn't a day goes by that I, as a local county councillor, am not contacted by somebody on the threshold of homelessness. These people have jobs, they've got families, but they simply can't source affordable housing. The government needs to radically step up its social and especially affordable housing plans to deal with this housing emergency. But they are lacking any sort of urgency. If the government want to turn around the poll ratings that they received today and future political fortunes, they need to be brave and urgently need to take some big decisions. Regrettably, I don't think they will. Kind regards. And that's the Councillor Paul Hayes in West Cork. That's a, that's a really, really good uh, text, I think, with some very valid points. And I think in particular the point about, you know, during COVID times when we all pulled and, and all rode in together and we looked to the government for leadership. And in fairness, we, we got the, the leadership. But in particular, they made decisions very, very quickly because the will was there to make the decisions. I mean, how often did we hear of legislation getting passed almost over? overnight when they needed to introduce something, be it something to do with a lockdown, be it something to do with restrictions or more importantly, be it something to do with giving additional financial supports to individuals and to businesses that need, that needed it. And they did it. They very much did it. And actually that report that's out on childhood poverty in this country, they showed that during uh, COVID, uh, 
poverty in children fell and that's because there was better supports put in place for low income uh, workers. So when they want to do something uh, they're able to do something but you know when anything else happens they seem to be very very slow to make any other decisions or moves and I think that is what is frustrating people and, and uh, you know I think uh, Councillor Paul Hayes is right if they if they themselves want to turn around their fortunes and they obviously can't be happy heading off into their summer recess with the, those opinion polls ringing in their ears then they do need to be brave and they do need to urgently make some very very big uh, decisions. Uh, only time will tell if they will make those decisions or not. Thank you for your uh, text, uh, Paul, to 0862103103. And a story I know that we've been running on the news all morning and there's been a couple of people commenting on this and this is to do with we're running out of beds for the Ukrainian refugees and for asylum seekers and a number of people have been commenting on the fact that they have texted here to the programme in recent weeks and months saying we need to put a cap on the number of Ukrainian refugees that we're allowing into the country because we're going to get to the stage where there isn't any more room at the inn and of course the government has, has always said there will never be a cap placed on the number of Ukrainian refugees because they're fleeing war and we have to be able to offer those people safe uh, haven uh, and we will continue to offer safe haven but it's where the safe haven is going to be uh, and as we've been hearing on the news this morning tents now are have already been erected on the ground of City West campus in uh, Dublin because the state has simply run out of accommodation not just for Ukrainian refugees it's also other asylum seekers that are arriving into this country the City West Convention Centre now remember the City West Convention Centre that opened as a processing centre for Ukrainians and asylum seekers in uh, March that now is operating well beyond on capacity there are reports coming of dozens of people who are sleeping on chairs the state has now effectively run out of any accommodation options and that's resulted in a huge backlog in the City West campus and tents have been put in place there on a short-term uh, solution. Government agencies are also attempting to locate other temporary centres in which arrivals can be processed and accommodated until long-term solutions are found. But I just scratch my head saying, where are these long-term solutions? When we have our own Irish people who, when they are in rented accommodation and they've been told they have to vacate the rented accommodation and they can't find anywhere to go. So I don't know where all this long-term accommodation is going to come. Now, a tented village was constructed at the Gormanstown camp in County Meath. That was put in place back in March. And I remember at the time we were saying, you can't, oh, you're not going to put refugees in tents. But they were saying, look, it's only a contingency plan. It'll house refugees. And, you know, they were very much saying it would only be on an emergency basis. That is now due to open as alternative accommodation. While the City West Campus Centre was initially opened as an overflow facility, to process the people that were coming through Dublin Airport. The majority now are stuck there. Um, and along with asylum seekers from other countries who have come here to apply under the International Protection Service. So the City West has a mix of, I think it's one in four are asylum seekers and so three out of every four are from the Ukraine. The situation is being attributed to an increase in applicants seeking asylum. Um, um, because uh, so that's one of the reasons that we're seeing an, an increase in the numbers. The Ukrainian people are generally women and children fleeing the war. 
But the people who are coming in seeking protection as asylum seekers, they have a tendency to be single men. And the problem is, is what's happening now is that some private accommodation providers are saying they'll only take the refugees from the Ukraine. They don't want to take asylum seekers because some people are only happy to house women and children and they don't want to house single young men. So there's a problem there. The Irish Refugee Council say the latest developments are very concerned about it. They say it's plain to see that conditions in direct provision have deteriorated drastically in recent years. They say now there's an urgent need for a new plan to address what is and everyone accepts an unprecedented situation. They say we need an all government approach. We shouldn't just be leaving everything to the Department of Children. So then just to look at some of the numbers in the first five months of this year, just under 5,000 people applied for international protection. These are that's asylum seekers. They're completely different to the Ukrainian refugees. Looking at the numbers of Ukrainians that have arrived, it's just over the 40,000 mark who have arrived from the Ukraine. They began arriving in February. But when you compare the asylum seekers coming in, as I say, it's just just under 5,000. If you go back to 2019, there was 4,700 people applied. But the previous year, that figure was down at 3,600 euro. But go back to the early 2000s, applications for asylum was running at nearly 12,000 people per annum. And they're now reckoning on the numbers that are coming in here that it's going to surpass that figure. Now, there's a number of reasons for that. Some people are, are arriving into this country looking for asylum. They weren't able to travel during the pandemic. But there's also, and we've no way of knowing for sure the numbers, but a lot of people are also saying what's feeding into an increase in asylum seekers in this, in this uh, country is the decision of the UK to send asylum seekers to Rwanda. What's it called? The Rwanda solution to the problem of asylum seekers in the UK, even though nobody has been, nobody's been sent to Rwanda yet. I know that's been tied up in the courts. But because of that, people are saying if they're coming looking for asylum from uh, another country, they're saying no point going to the UK because they don't want to end up in Rwanda. And it seems many of them who would have uh, ties with the UK are coming in through uh, Northern Ireland. Now, it's yet unclear exactly how much impact the UK's Rwanda policy has had. But there certainly has been an increase in applications and people are saying that it is possibly down to that. The housing crisis has resulted in those also who have been granted residency. These are the people who have been living in direct provision. They're now, their asylum has been assessed. They've been told, yes, you've been allowed to live in this country. You've been, they've been given residency, but they can't move out of the direct provision because they were unable to secure accommodation. They're join, joining the queue with the other Irish people who cannot find anywhere to privately rent. The Department of Children has said the government is working uh, intensively to put alternative arrangements in place with immediate effect. I know the Taoiseach says he's going to be meeting with ministers to discuss the situation and to review the current policies and processes. But something has to be done because we now have a situation where uh, asylum seekers and refugees fleeing the war in Ukraine are now ending, ending up being housed in the old terminal building in Dublin airport and I know there was reports in yesterday from a volunteer group that works with Ukrainians fleeing the Russian invasion saying that some of those people ended up sleeping on a bare floor the DAA have given over this old terminal building to the government and says that it can be used to house uh, refugees and asylum seekers so it is a situation that is certainly 
getting very, very serious indeed because every day more Ukrainian refugees are arriving and of course every day more asylum seekers are arriving and literally, as some texters are saying, there is no room at the inn. 0818 Bernie's taking your calls. You can text her WhatsApp to 0862 103 103. C103 Jobs. A deli chef and food service assistant is wanted. Now, this is for a factory canteen in Ballinim. No Sundays or there's no night shifts. You can email your CV to mike.osullivan at sodexo.com. Accommodation assistance are required for the Hibernian Hotel in Mallow. They're also looking for waiting staff for the Cow Restaurant 022 58200. A turner with experience with manual lights and milling machines wanted for Charleville. Call 063 307 31. And Fitzgerald's Construction are looking for ground workers with experience, please, in concrete finishing and pipe laying for domestic houses in the North Cork area. They also require general workers for labouring. Semi skilled trade would be an advantage. Call 087 9931203. You'll find all the details and more job opportunities by going online now. You can go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is C103. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Cork Today on C103. Call Patricia with your comment. 0818-103-103. Children at risk in Ireland, Carrie, is a voluntary therapy service that offers professional help to children who have been sexually abused and they say their service is now severely limited because they've seen, wait for it, a 160% increase in their waiting list. Joining me from Carrie is Colm O'Brien. Good morning to you, Colm. Uh, very good morning. Uh, you're, Thank you're, you for having us. Well, listen, you're, you're welcome to, uh, to the programme. Did, did the lockdown during the pandemics, uh, during the pandemic, did, did, you, did, did that lead to an increase in sexual abuse of children? It certainly led to an increase in reporting it to us uh, here at Carrie. If I may explain to your listeners what Carrie does, if that's okay with you. Please do, uh, yeah. Carrie, C-A-R-I, C-A-R-I dot I-E is our website. Carrie was set up in 1989, so we're in our 33rd year of operation, and it was set up, unfortunately, because of the heinous crime of child sexual abuse, which was prevalent back then, and unfortunately, the situation hasn't improved. In fact, it perhaps has either worsened or we're seeing more reporting of same. Uh, there were 4,331 cases of child sexual abuse reported to TUSLA in 2021 alone. And the work that Carrie does, we employ psychotherapists, trained psychotherapists to work concurrently with a child who uh, has uh, been abused and the non-offending carers in that child's orbit because it's really important that we work with the child, as you can imagine, in the context in which he or she is residing. So it's very deep and difficult work and uh, takes a lot of training. It's certainly work that I personally couldn't do. I'm, I'm not a clinician. I'm the general manager of the organisation here. And so that, that's what we do. And to answer your question about the 160% increase, what we saw, Patricia, and you'll know this yourself, any organisation has, if you like, trends that they can point to and basically can say, well, look, next year we would expect X to happen based on our history. So in 2020, our waiting list grew by 115% in one year alone. 
And when something like that, when there's a spike in data like that, and of course, as you correctly pointed out, the 160% up today based on where we were pre-pandemic, pre-lockdown. So if we look at what changed, what might cause a spike, the only thing that we could point to is that we were all asked to stay at home by our government to remain safe uh, from coronavirus. Um, But unfortunately, it would appear, um, based on the work that Carrie does, it would appear that home was not the safest place for many children. Therefore. And and did I, did I read that some of it is peer-to-peer abuse? Yeah, another very worrying trend here, Patricia, is, uh, is the uh, of, of the uh, cases that were referred to us over the last two years, um, 44% are uh, peer-to-peer uh, and or sibling um, abuse. Also, um, uh, sexually harmful behaviour noticed by parents, which has got to be learned somewhere. And again, if we refer back to lockdown, where did all of our lives move to? They moved online. online. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. Um, in, in the strangest of ways, uh, Carrie welcomes the increase in reporting because our sense of it, having been in this sector for the last three decades, plus our sense of it is that the numbers that are reported are not representative of the true um, challenge out there, the true extent of the problem. I can't imagine the devastation that must be, you know, uh, brought upon a family where a child comes forth and uh, discloses the fact that they've been uh, interfered with and the, the, the devastation that that would cause. I also can't imagine the bravery that it takes for a family to listen to that, take it on board and then put the hand up to seek help by reporting to TUSA or some other agency or, or indeed carry directly because it must be very difficult. So our, our sense of it is that there are families out there where it may have been brought up as a subject, uh, as a topic of conversation, I should say, but perhaps there are families out there that for their own reasons choose to uh, deal with this internally. And our suggestion here, based on the work we do, is that that would be the wrong thing to do. It might seem like the easier course of action. But if a child doesn't receive robust and proper intervention early on, and this is why we're talking to you today, uh, that damage, uh, if it gets pushed under the carpet, all, all that will happen is it will raise itself in uglier ways in years to come. It can last, it can last a lifetime. And, and we've seen and heard from so many adults who were abused as a child, nothing was done about it, they didn't get the help that they needed and their lives were destroyed in some cases, Conor. Uh, in many cases, unfortunately, Patricia, you're absolutely right and, and that's what we're trying to do and, and thank you for having us on, on your programme this morning because we're trying to break the silence. Silence, Patricia, is the enabler. Silence is how child sexual abuse thrives, right? It's, it's our little secret to keep it between ourselves and say nothing to nobody and that's, that's where the damage is done. And we're, we're dealing with children here as young as the age of three, right? So imagine a little three-year-old, right, who ends up in school in a number of years' time and believes that what he or she went through as a child uh, was the norm and then learns through experience that, no, that wasn't the norm. That's when the problems begin to, to manifest, okay? It wasn't mm-hmm. the norm because it's not the norm. And... Uh, the challenge for Carrie at the moment is we've got a significant waiting list, 250 families on our waiting list looking for help. Uh, we, Because we saw this 
happening. We, we could see the, the, the train coming down the track, Patricia. We invested in our facilities. We now have 12 therapy rooms, 12, uh, seven here in, in, in our headquarters in Limerick City and five in Dublin. We've also got another therapy room down in Wexford. But we have uh, the capacity to see about 150 families a week in our centres, okay? The challenge is we don't have the funds to hire the psychotherapist to do that. Yeah, and I know, yeah, and it's one of the reasons that we, besides, I I really wanted to focus on the fantastic work that you do, but you've launched a public fundraising campaign to try to get children off those those waiting lists. We have. We we have re-engaged with TUSA. TUSA has been very supportive of us us over the years within within the confines of of what they can do. Uh, They respect the work. We do a very good working relationship and they've done, uh, I'll say the best they, 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 they were able to do under the circumstances. We have reached out to them and we've got robust meetings and conversations happening at the moment to uh, increase the level of funding in an emergency capacity because unless we can raise significant funds now, some of those children will wait five years to be seen and that's just unconscionable. We've got therapy rooms that are sitting uh, empty and a therapy room sitting empty is a child sitting at home in pain and fear and a family in trauma. So yes, we are asking the public to get behind. Uh, we've got a hundred k in a hundred days. We'd like to raise a hundred thousand euro to help these families in a hundred days. And we're looking for people to get creative. Uh, they can simply text uh, the word "helping" to five zero three hundred and donate four euro. But we're looking for families, sorry, for, for individuals and or companies to get creative. Maybe they can, you know, walk uh, each every day for a hundred days and raise a few bob that way. Maybe they can get a committee together in a company and uh, run some form of event or have a barbecue. Yeah, yeah. Do a bit of a, any, any kind of a fundraiser at, 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 at all. Because I'm just, I'm, t- I'm thinking of the families as well. I mean, as you say, Colm, it's devastating when a child opens up that they've been sexually uh, abused. But when it's, the, ab- the abuser was another member of the family. God, it, it must rip families apart. Um. I, I actually can't understand it myself. I can't. I can't even go there. Can't begin to imagine. Um, a challenge, however, Patricia. You, you know, we were all taught about stranger danger, right? And, mm. and right, and rightly so. Unfortunately, in in the world of carry, the carry regrettably exists at all to to, to have it. In in this world, it's it's rarely strangers are the problem, because it takes time and effort for somebody to groom a child to get to a situation where sexual exploitation can take place. So it's rarely stranger uh, danger is the problem. And, and that's a challenge for us all, which brings us right back to the, the, the point about silence being the enabler. That's the challenge. The challenge is, and we're trying to break the silence here at Carrie, and if we can break the silence together, and, and, and thank you for allowing us to do this this morning because this is helping. If we can break the silence on this, we can break the cycle. Because the other thing that we know in Kerry is that many children who come to us uh, uh, are, have experienced abuse. And when we look back through history, it would appear that uh, it, it's something that is intergenerational. Yeah, that's, yeah. And that's a problem. And hurt people hurt people. Yeah. So if we can help a child now learn to cope. We can't turn the clock back, unfortunately. But if we can help a child learn to cope with what has happened and to deal with what has happened, we can save them more pain into the future and hopefully 20 years from now hopefully we'll have broken the cycle Okay carry.ie c-a-r-i dot i-e and give me that text number again that people can donate 
they can donate to, uh, to, to using the word helping, H-E-L-P-I-N-G, to 50300. But I'm also, if, can I put out a care line number? Please do, yeah. Please do. Affected by this. The care line 0818 9245675. If somebody uh, is impacted by this and wants to have a conversation with uh, some of our trained people, please make contact. That's really important. Listen, thank you, um, Colm, for taking time out to talk to us uh, this morning. And no doubt we will speak again. But in the meantime, uh, continue good luck. You, you, you just do amazing work. And I really do hope that you get the money that you need in order to get the therapists that you need in order to help those children and their families. But thank you for talking to us this morning. Uh, our pleasure, Patricia. Thank you for having me. Good morning, Chief. Help me break the silence. Take care. Bye bye. Colm O'Sullivan, there, General Manager with Carry Children at Risk in uh, Ireland. Please uh, reach out if you've been affected in any way by uh, my chat with Colm this morning. 0818 103 103. Bernie's taking your calls. You can text her WhatsApp to 0862 103 103. Record today on C103. Text or WhatsApp Patricia with your comment. 086 And we're off to Fomoy Garda Station for this week's Garda Fire where I'm joined by Sergeant John Kelly. Good morning to you, John. Good morning, Patricia. And Thank you for having you're, me. You're, you're very welcome. Now, you start with, this is a, a, a new one on me, but this is a clever way of getting money out of a shop. Tell me what happened in the garage in Fomoy. It's, uh, yeah, and Patricia, it's something could be replica- replicated. And uh, just for people, retailers, if they're listening, just uh, just to listen in. Um, this particular incident happened yesterday at a garage in Formoy. Uh Two males went in uh, to the garage. They looked for, they obviously knew they were for sale. They're pay safe cards. Uh, they looked for two, one guy looked for two 100 euro pay safe cards. Now, they're, uh, as the name would suggest, they're to pay safely over the internet uh, if you're buying if you're buying something. Now, immediately after asking for the two pay-safe cards, they were put down on the counter in front of him. He didn't distract it by asking for cigarettes, which, of course, as you know, any petrol station or place has the cigarettes directly behind and you have to open the locker to, to get them out. So while he was doing that, another male came up and took photographs of the codes on the pay-safe cards. Um, he, didn't, uh, he didn't move away. Um, this individual then paid for the cigarettes. The other individual paid for the cigarettes and said, I don't have enough to pay for the two pay-safe pay cards and handed them back. But the cards were compromised straight away because the photographs had been taken and their serial numbers, which could be used which could be used uh, over, over, over the internet. So just for people to bear it in mind, we saw the same... Well, you see the same in the past and still do occasionally with, when people are looking for credit for the phone, you know, something similar, uh, whereby uh, they don't go through with the transaction, but they have taken, they have photographed maybe the code on the... And then uh, they can the use slip. use the code as if they have the code, the card Absolutely. in their hand. So they, so they've the key, effectively taken €200. Euro, so the key know? there is, uh, if you're selling those in your shop until the money is handed over, you don't hand over those cards with the numbers on it. Absolutely. Treat those cards at ca- as cash at all times. You know, it's the only it's the only way to deal with them. You know, so as I say, this is something I feel sure will be replicated over the next few days, and for retailers, just to bear it in mind. Okay, the criminals are getting more clever all the time. Now, you want to move to a building site in Mallow. Building site in Mallow. There yesterday, uh, a car car pulled up. They saw obviously the tank 
for, for, for the diesel that's used for the work vehicles on site. They, they, they literally got out one of them and uh, filled up about, roughly speaking, about €100 Euros of green diesel which is just for works vehicles and agricultural tractors, and and uh, and and took off straight away. Um, now we are seeing the occasional drive off still occurring at uh, at petrol stations, but uh, this is a new one. But obviously, any, anywhere you have diesel that can power cars, you, you know, it'll be it'll be taken. You know, it, it's like gold at the moment. I mean, you literally have to almost have it under lock and key. Absolutely, yeah, and and just for people to bear it back in their minds that. Uh, you know, just um, uh, the, the tank of home heat. I'll just bear that in mind as well to make sure that uh, you you keep it as low as possible. And do, I think people are doing that anyway because of the price of it. Yeah. They're not going yeah. for their, for their, their full tank like yeah. they always have. They go for their half tank. So maybe in that way, uh, that might reduce some of that. Um, now uh, we've seen a number of trailers t- being taken as well. Um, now, to, and this was one yesterday. Um, where there was automatic gates. I mean, the person had done everything that you could do. They had automatic gates uh, on their passageway. There was forced entry of those automatic gates, um, and a trailer trailer was taken. It was a Brian James double axle silver trailer. Now, it was taken between 9 p.m. on the 12th and 6 a.m. on the 13th yesterday at Templesque. So if you came across uh, any car or van, uh, you know, pulling a trailer like that, a Brian James double axle silver trailer. Um, we would be appreciative of any information that the public have on that. Um, also at Caramia, the townland would be like a row, but um, there was a Jeep parked. It had on it an Ivor Williams H511 horse box. Now that's a silver box. Now there was a steel plate had been added on and was welded to the roof inside. And that was taken between 11.30 uh, a.m. and 2.30 p.m. That's a three-hour period on the 12th, uh, the day of Carmi, you know, the, while the owner was away from the, the the Jeep and horse box. He came back to find the horse box gone. So, again, that's an Ivor Williams H511 horse box. Now, a silver box with steel plate welded to the roof inside. If you were a Carmi, and if you did see activity, you know, matching what I described, again, we would be very appreciative of any information that you may have to offer as regards what uh, what car or van left the scene towing that horse box. Okay, because they, they are expensive uh, items as well. Absolutely, absolutely. You know, in the region of two, three, four grand. Yeah. Um, now, we also saw uh, a yard there and at uh, Lame Laura on the 8th of July. Oh, now, this was over a three-day period. Again, uh, a trailer stolen from a yard. So, uh, trailers, horse boxes, very popular items again at the moment. So for people, just if if you have them, just you know keep them locked down as much as possible. Okay. You know. And um, just so and there's just a query, and I don't know if you can answer this, uh, but a listener says, uh, Patricia, while you have Sergeant John Kelly on the program, uh, could you ask him please about installing cameras, you know, CCTV cameras outside your own houses, and if that's allowed? Because I'm a bit I'm a bit confused. I've had a guard that called to my door asking me about my camera because the neighbour has been complaining about it, and the neighbour has a problem. Problem. What the neighbour doesn't know is the camera isn't, isn't even uh, working. Are you allowed to have CCTV cameras on your own property? Precisely, yes. But yeah, there's what they call, when you have an installer putting on cameras, uh, you know, they will make sure that the area uh, that's covered is just your area. 
they can block out, they can blank out on the screen any area that's not your area. Yeah, you so can't you film your neighbour's house, for example. Absolutely, yeah. yeah, yeah. Absolutely, yeah but if, if yeah. the camera is only on her house and, you know, her front door, her garden, then that's okay. That's, you, that's you can, of course, yeah, yeah. Of course it is. There, okay. There's no issue with that because, I mean, naturally, you know, some of, some of the videos that we have coming in from the States of, uh, uh, as in the past I've described, uh, criminals literally trying cars and driving. Yeah. I mean, some of the information we get is from uh, CCTV. Like and would that, the guard you know? call and ask someone, you know, can I have a look back through your CCTV on a particular night? Would you, would, would you do that to try to solve crimes? Yes, yeah. yes, yes. Yeah. yes. Uh, like, I mean, when, when a crime happens in a state like that, you know, we canvas houses, you know, for any information that people may have to offer. And uh, within that ambit is any CCTV that they might have. Yeah. Um, now, in, in in some cases, you know, people would have done cameras up, you know, to try to give the impression that there is CCTV. Yeah. It, you know, but I mean, uh, any any professional organisation, and, and it is only companies registered with the PSA now, can, you know, will fit cameras. Um, you, you know, they will ensure that the only place covered is the... Um, the property of the person employing them. Yeah, so do your neighbours don't have to worry about no, no, Absolutely. nobody's snooping. All right, John, Absolutely. we leave it there. Thank you for that. Thank you very and, much. And uh, thanks uh, Thank for you. joining us. That is Sergeant uh, John Kelly, uh, based out of Formoygar, the station. Some of your comments coming into the program. We were speaking with Carrie, the Children at Risk in Ireland uh, group, who just offer amazing therapy and support to families whose uh, children experience sexual abuse. And it's got to be the worst kind of abuse that any child can suffer and for a family to discover that a little one in the house has been abused and in majority of cases by somebody else in the household absolutely uh, devastating they are a terrific organisation who just do amazing work but that's led somebody to say Patricia I love children and we should all love and respect them and mind them but unfortunately that isn't always the case and yes children do suffer over families that are simply not good or are not just healthy in themselves this listener says I've spoken up on so many occasions for children that are crying a child doesn't cry for any reason and, and I don't know when you're saying you speak up for children It's if you're out in public and you see an upset child that's a very brave thing uh, to do to be able to speak up on behalf of a child who you think isn't being looked after uh, properly thank you for your uh, text I can see questions coming in for Jane Pickett of our resident vet keep those coming because she'll join us later on in this hour and then there's a couple of queries to do with driving tests and driving licence renewal. Let me firstly go to the one on the driving test. Hi Patricia, I'm just wondering, can you do a driving test without a valid NCT? The reason I'm asking is my son is due to take his driving test on the 5th of August, but unfortunately he can't get a date for an NCT on his car until the 5th of December and when he goes to take his driving test his current NCT is going to be out of date. So I've checked and I don't have the best of news for your son. When you turn up to do your driving test, the car you're driving in, you obviously have to be insured to drive the car but the car must also display a current valid original insurance, motor disc and NCT disc. It must be a valid NCT or CVRT uh, disc. Now, 
two possible solutions. You can, vehicles can be hired from an improved driving instructor, anybody under the ADI. I don't know who your son has been getting his driving lessons from. He could go back to the instructor and ask, could he hire their car for the day and use that instead? Or I'm also thinking, and I don't know if this is possible, could he get on to the NCT? The, the driving test is the 5th of August. Where are we today? The 14th of July. So he's got a couple of weeks. Could he get on to the NCT centre, explain the predicament he's in and could they fast track his NCT test and that maybe he could have it in time for the for the 5th of August? That is uh, another another possible solution I don't know whether NCT would be able to do that for him or not but failing that rather than him losing out on the opportunity of the driving test tell him to get on to his ADI instructor and see if he can hire a car for the morning or the day of his uh, test study for the, the hour of the test I don't know what driving instructors uh, charge but he but you just don't want him missing out on his driving test particularly if he's ready and feels confident that he's going to pass the test on the day. And then another listener was on saying, morning, uh, could somebody let me know or help me out, please? Do I need an eyesight test? My driving licence is due for renewal shortly, but I do wear glasses full time. Do I need to get an up-to-date eyesight test? So I checked in and according to online, the NDLS require an eye test for a driving licence report when you are applying for your new uh, licence. It is not normally required, however, when you're applying for renewal of your licence. So I'm assuming you would have done an eyesight test report on your first licence, but for renewal, it is normally not required. So you should be okay with that. And then other texts coming in. I mentioned the Society of St. Vincent de Paul when it came up. I think it came up in both of our, our interviews earlier this morning. It came up with uh, Tim Lombard talking about the price of coal and he made the point that the all the St Vincent de Paul conferences all over the country are going to be under huge pressure because they supply so much coal to so many needy families. And obviously they have to buy the coal in order to get it delivered to the needy families and to the, and to the elderly people that need the extra bag of coal. So Vincent de Paul are going to have to pay what's almost a doubling in price of coal and the prospect of it going even higher. And then Councillor Ian Doyle spoke about it as well and, and he's a coal merchant so he knows he, he delivers the coal and also he's a member of the Societies of Vincent de Paul in Charleville so he knows the, the needs that are out there as well. That has prompted a, a Kerry listener to say, Patricia, Vincent de Paul, fantastic, great organisation but not every needy person will turn to them for help. And this listener says particularly elderly folk in rural areas. Now this she says or he, say, he or she says, I'm not too sure isn't the fault of VDP it's more a cultural thing if I were asked to answer truthfully would I approach VDP for help the answer would be no and I'm an OAP with huge heating requirements because of illness consequently many old people living in need particularly in winter time and what's about to come down the track this winter is frightening and many of them won't reach out and ask for help. And, you know, that's from a Kerry listener. Thank you for that. And, you know, VDP are very much aware of that because I know whenever I do conversate or have conversations, whenever I do interviews with any of the you know, the local conference of Society of Vincent de Paul or somebody joins me from a head office, they are forever 
making that point that look this is not our money people give this money to help others in need in the community and they are constantly saying to people to please reach out but but you're right I think it, it may be a cultural thing and I know even the society the Katrina Toomey from Cork Penny Dinners how often have, have I heard Katrina say that a, mo- a mother and it can be a father as well but she mainly talks about mothers arriving with children who are hungry and they'll send the children in to get some food and when she or one of her volunteers will say well you know what about yourself and the mother inevitably will say no no I'm fine I just want to see the children uh, get some food and she said she knows that the mother is hungry but you know we'll always push so they'll always make sure that the mother gets fed as well and the same when they're handing out uh, food so that yeah that is um, that is an, an issue and I don't know how you get around that cultural issue of Vincent de Paul is all, always for people less needy than yourself and there will be a lot of elderly people really struggling and the last thing they will think of doing and and I'm sure that the volunteers with Vincent de Paul become aware of people in their area who they know need a bit of help or maybe they hear from somebody that they know need a bit of help and they can very, in a very diplomatic way, they can reach out to see does that person need help and I do know, I absolutely know for sure that that does happen but yeah, is, is it cultural? It probably is. Thank you for your text to 0862103103. I spoke about asylum uh, seekers and the number of asylum seekers has increased and it looks like we're going to be back to when there was a huge amount of asylum seekers come to this country and back in the, the 2000, I think it was when there were about 12,000 a year coming into this country uh, seeking political uh, and, and and seeking asylum status. And But those numbers have, have dropped off usually, but now they're on the rise again. And some are pointing to what the UK are doing in, in sent, are telling asylum seekers you're going to be sent to Rwanda to be processed. And because of that, the it could be that they're coming to Ireland instead. John wants to point out that he feels most asylum seekers are economic migrants. Less than 10% are actually granted asylum in this in this country. These people need to be removed from the state and asylum seekers that have been refused asylum here. Some spend many years after refusal because it's an appeals process. And, and listen, that's an issue. We've had, always had a problem with how we, that whole asylum system process and you know countless Minister for Justice have tried to work on it to speed up the process because you're right there will be very genuine asylum seekers and if they are genuine they should be processed assessed and if they genuinely are fleeing for their lives then they should be looked after and they should be allowed to remain in this country but you but there are economic there are people who see us as a very rich country and they'll come to this country because they want a better life for themselves and they are that does not fall under the remit of you can't come to another country just because you're going to think you're going going to get a better life you can only come if you're fleeing for your for your for your life is the reason that you come for asylum seeking but yes the, the, does our process need to be looked at John 100% it, it does and as I say that isn't a new problem that has been going on for years and that's one of the problems with direct provision and people being caught up in direct provision for many many years 0862103103 thank you for your text and then Martin in West Cork is listening to our news this morning it says hi Patricia it's outrageous absolutely outrageous that the HSE are outsourcing work in Spain it's beyond belief maybe I misheard hopefully I did thanking you can you clarify I can clarify now can I just say it isn't the HSE that are sending people to Spain what has happened is this new hospital 
has officially opened up in Spain. I think today is the first day and they're dedicated to treating patients who are on long public waiting lists here in uh, Ireland. Patients will be treated under the EU cross-border directive, which has been in place for many, many years. And the EU cross-border directive works you go to another EU country, this is if you've been on a waiting uh, list and it's also open to people, if there's a particular procedure you need that isn't available in, in your country, then you can go to another EU country uh, to get to get the work done. The work is done in a private hospital. Now you have to pay for the treatment, but then you come back and you get reimbursed by the, the HSE. The flip of that is, and this will astound some people, people come from other EU countries to Ireland for treatment if they feel that they've been waiting too long in their own country or if they feel that whatever procedure they need isn't available in their country. So it, 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 it actually works both ways. But this, I think, certainly is a first. I've never heard of this before. This is actually a 64-bedded hospital that has opened up in Alicante in uh, Spain. And initially, around 1,500 Irish patients will get routine planned surgeries every year at the facility almost every treatment that's currently available on the Irish public system will be provided for at this new hospital. Now you do obviously have to pay for your own flights you will have to pay for your own accommodation if there's accommodation say before you go into hospital or maybe you want to stay on for a little while afterwards so you won't, once you're in the hospital you, you pay but you will get fully reimbursed for what you pay the well it's close to fully reimbursed what the hospital will uh, charge you and the hospital is expected to perform um, hip operations, hip replacements, knee replacements, spinal procedures, cataract operations, weight loss surgery, huge waiting list for weight loss surgery and other uh, treatments. And it's all done, as I say, under the EU cross-border directive. A little bit like the same way how many people from West Cork and indeed now all over the country go on the cataract, the Belfast are blind bus and go up to Belfast to have cataract operations done. That's the cross-border directive. It runs the same way as the cross-border directive and people go up to Belfast they get the cataract operations done. We've had people have hip and knee operations done in Belfast as well. They pay the money up front and then they get reimbursed for their care from the HSE. And actually, because of this hospital now opening up in Spain, um, I think a lot of people will, will, will decide to go to Spain to have the procedures done because I don't know if all of the procedures that are listed there are available in Belfast and if you're in pain and you've been on a waiting list for a long, long time use and you have the means to get onto a, on a plane and go to Spain, people will go, you will go to any lengths to get out of, of pain and I see that the credit unions who already have been helping out on people who are going through the cross-border directive and going up north, the credit unions are available, they'll offer a loan to somebody so you can get a loan to take the money out to Spain with you to pay for the procedure and then come back and then when the HSE reimburses you, you pay off the loan with the HSE. So that's fantastic because not everybody might have the money sitting in their bank to actually go. So yes, you did hear it right uh, Martin in West Cork but it isn't the HSE that are sending uh, people this is this hospital in Spain has decided this is a way to make money it's a private hospital at the end of the day and they have decided to open up with Irish patients in mind now I don't know if they're going to look to other countries as well or is it from what I can gather from what I'm reading it specifically seems to be for Irish hospitals in Alicante in Spain because even outside the beautiful brand new hospital it looks fantastic um, the, it, the one that opened up the, the 
this morning they've got the Spanish flag the Irish flag and the European Union flag so it looks like it's just specifically for Irish patients and I do know from having very good friends of mine who lived in uh, Spain a number of years ago the hospitals in Spain and this the, the standard of treatment is unreal and at the end of the day it is a private hospital that you are going uh, to 0818 103 103 Our lines are open The C103 Cork Diary With Cork County Council Delivering roads and housing Community and business supports All across the county See corkcoco.ie Kildallery Lotto uh, Next draw is taking place This afternoon 4 o'clock Community office with a jackpot €4,300 There will be a Cayley In the Marion Hall in Ballinhasic Tomorrow night Half nine to half twelve. Music is by Jerry McCarthy. Admission ten euro, which does include teas. And the Krishnalanov annual commemoration takes place tomorrow at eight o'clock. The oration will be given by Thomas McCorick from the Cork Fenian Society. Music and refreshments afterwards in O'Donovan's Bar in Ballinadee. All are welcome. And there will be a fun dog show at Laharan Cross, Lambertstown next Sunday, 2 o'clock sharp. Now, entries will be taken half 12. The entry fee is €3 and there will be prizes for all children in the children's class. And the newly reopened Hannah's Bar, that's previously Griffin's in Scanakilla, on the Mallard to Kildallery Road, are inviting seniors to join them every Monday from 2 to 5 in the afternoon. It's to join in their talent competition with a winning prize of €100 for a local charity of your choice. Great fun guarantee. Court today on C103. Call Patricia with your comment. 0818 103 103. And Dan is texting in about the West Cork listener whose son has a driving test on the 5th of August, but he can't get an NCT on the car until the 5th of December, so the NCT will be out of date. I'm wondering, could he still do the driving test without a valid NCT? Dan says, uh, Patricia, if he's booked and paid for his NCT, which he has, he can put the booking confirmation on the dash of his car. He can, and I think that would be okay. If he gets stopped by the guards, he can prove that he's, you know, he's waiting to get his NCT. But I don't think that's going to work when you turn up for a driving test because it says for a driving test, in order for you to use the vehicle that you're going to do your driving test in, you must have a current up to date NCT disc. So I don't think a note saying I'm due to get one because obviously the, the person testing is going to say how do you know that's going to pass the NCT or not so I certainly would not be relying on that because I don't want the young fella disappointed if he's ready to do his test and he gets there only to be told you can't do your test because you don't have a valid NCT and we've seen in the past people turn up for a driving test and then suddenly they can't do the um, driving test because they something is wrong the insurance disc wasn't right or the tax was out of date or in this case the actual the actual NCT is out of date and somebody says somebody has just (laughs) sent in a text saying he will not be allowed to do the driving test and believe me I learned from my own experience okay so there's somebody who did turn up with the NCT out of date and wasn't allowed to do the test okay so either try and see 
can he bring forward the date of the NCT or else see if he can get onto his instructor and can the instructor loan him or hire him a car to do the test in and let us know please how he gets on and more importantly if he passes the test 0818 103 103 Hi Patricia can you get a loan from the credit union if you don't save with them for that cross border initiative that you're talking about I would say go in and chat with your local credit union and uh, explain to them what you're trying to do because they actually have in place now certain you know specific loans for the EU cross border healthcare and I think they'd be only too delighted to see you coming in and opening up a an account with them and they certainly will point you in the right direction because um, particularly now with this one in Spain with this hospital opening up in Spain I think we're going to get to see a lot more people who are going to go that way because they're just sick of sick of being on waiting lists while they're getting uh, sicker Hi uh, Patricia this is Joan in Formoy sees a, a podiatrist a few times a year because she's diabetic but today the girl says she cannot see her until next January as Joan is classed as a moderate diabetic the girl needs to see people on the waiting list now Joan could only get two appointments a year because they're so short staffed they've advertised but they simply can't get the workers if they had enough staff they'd be able to give a better service Joan feels the HSE is a total disaster and all that does is is make waiting lists longer and uh, longer yeah that that's and it's a worry Joan because obviously you get peace of mind when you go to the to the podiatrist and you go your couple of times a year and you know you're okay fine again go away for another three months or whatever it is but now to be told that there's going to be longer gaps in between the appointments but that's again that's not it's not just in for podiatrists right across the HSE they're struggling to get staff talk to anyone who works on what's called the so-called multidisciplinary teams which are you know, made up of things like the speech and language therapist the occupational uh, therapist the psycho uh, the psychologists uh, all of them are they none of their teams are filled anywhere in the country and of course it's hugely affecting uh, children with disabilities because they are told that they need a specific therapy but then they're told sorry you're on the waiting list because we don't have enough say it's speech and language our physiotherapists we don't have enough you're going to have to wait and the reasons given is that they can't get the staff they just can't get the uh, staff and this is from Kate in Passage West at one thirty last night she saw a very bright light in the sky white with a little tail on it it moved across the sky slowly does anybody know what it is? That sounds like the space station. Was the, was the space station passing overhead? Because I had David Moore on from Astronomy Ireland talking about the the the, the blue moon. Is it a blue moon? There's a, f- a huge full moon at the moment and it's in the sky for the next uh, three nights. And actually I went out to look in the sky last night and Bernie myself were talking in the office. So did she, but it was very cloudy where we were so we weren't able to see it. But at about four in the morning I woke and I drew back the curtain just to take a look and there was this amazing moon right outside my window it was absolutely gorgeous I heard Nick in the afternoons talk about it yesterday as well he was looking forward to seeing the big moon in the sky but he was making the point have you ever tried to photograph I don't know you see some people take these amazing photographs and whether you need a special camera or not but certainly on my phone you never get the proper photograph of the moon the ones that you see in the paper but there's a, there's a huge moon in the sky at the moment I'm imagining if it was moving slowly across the the sky that was the International Space Station I'll get it checked to see was it flying over uh, last night but it, but it 
couple of times a month we'll get word from usually Astronomy Ireland are great to give us the heads up to say that the International Space Station will be flying over ahead and Michael says Patricia the young man doing the driving test whose NCT is out needs to ring the NCT phone number they are excellent or sometimes if you go on the website after midnight short notice tests come up hope he gets sorted and passes the NCT and the driving test says Michael thank you for that yeah I think if he gets on and, and points out to the NCT, NCT centre but you're right they do often put up because people cancel people have an NCT and then for whatever reason decide to cancel it so they do put up short notice uh, tests and once the car is all ready to go and he's confident that it will pass the NCT that will be another way of doing it but I think if he tries to get on to them as well and explains his uh, need I know my other solution for him was to borrow a car from or hire a car from a driving instructor but you know and I think back to when I did my own driving test you get used to driving your own car in a specific car and it might throw you slightly to be driving somebody else's car so it might be the ideal situation to take the test in another car. 0818 103 103 Bernie's taking your calls you can text her WhatsApp to 0862 103 103 and we're looking for your pet questions please for Jane Pickett. Record today on C103. Text or WhatsApp Patricia with your comment. 086 103 And we're off to the Island Wood Veterinary Hospital in Newmarket, part of the Mill Street Veterinary Group, where I'm joined by our resident vet, Jane Pickett. Good afternoon to you, Jane. Good afternoon, Patricia. And you are very welcome. OK, let's get straight into uh, questions. Mary says, hi, Patricia. Some advice, please, from Jane on dog food. I have a 17 month old German shepherd. I feed him on Gain Big Dogs Adult, which works out at about 50 euro for a 15 kg bag. I also feed my other German shepherd on Gain Crunchy, which is much cheaper at 20 euro for the 15 kg bag. Now, my query is, from a nutritional point of view, can I change to the cheaper one for the puppy, the 17-month-old one? Also, any advice on giving food scraps like bread, etc., uh, would much appreciate it. And I'm assuming this is from a cost point of view. There's a big difference between €20 Euro and €50. Euro. Can Mary swap? OK, so this is an interesting one. I think at an age of 17 months, that pet would be moving into the adult category. So I don't think it needs to, let's say, have a... a a nutrition that's suitable for let's say um, an actively growing puppy so the the crunchy diet the cheaper one if it is a complete adult diet and it's let's say not aimed towards seniors or anything but a, a normal kind of adult it should be nutritionally suitable now what i can say is i'm not particularly familiar with that brand i can't test how nutritionally suitable it is it's not something i i know a lot about personally what i would suggest is that i suppose the basic basic things I would suggest with the diet are you get what you pay for um now with that you just need to make sure that the pet food that you're choosing is appropriately tested so that you know that what's on the back of the pack is always what's inside the bag generally there are two different types of food accreditation that will do that one is called AFCO testing and then there's another one and I think the acronym is not quite on the tip of my tongue but there's the uh, it's, it's kind of the pet equivalent of the European Food Standards Agency essentially so if you if you google European pet food accreditation something will probably pop up and you just need to double check well has your pet food that you're deciding whatever that is to pop to pop your dog on 
food wise has it been appropriately tested by one of those bodies and what they will generally do is you know they will do quality control to ensure that you know what is listed in the ingredients is actually there inside the packet and there's not a lot of variation from bag to bag but also that the nutrition nutritional balance that's in that bag as regards fat protein um and let's say the electrolytes and minerals calcium and phosphorus particularly which is really important for bone density that it's optimal for a pet at that life stage so an adult food will be nutritionally appropriate for an adult dog and that they are happy that the balance of nutrients within that bag is suitable for a life stage and that for that pet we know that in a real world situation feeding it will give them a, a generally good health good bone density so what i would say is in general not speaking specifically about a particular brand you get what you pay for it's really important to make sure that they're appropriately tested if one is cheaper than the other i think it's really important to have a step back and ask well why is that the case is there a big big difference in the ingredients on the back of the pack is there a big big difference in the kind of uh, meat content in there and why is why is there such a price disparity now it may just be that one is a better bargain and brilliant i'm all in favor of that if it's not going to compromise the health of your pet obviously times are you know times are tough yeah. many, and what many, about what about people. feeding scraps German shepherds. I wouldn't. Yeah, I wouldn't really recommend. Um, okay. And that's because I suppose scraps every now and again, some dogs may tolerate it well, but not all will. I think the way that we think of it is we, we think we want something exciting all of the time. And certainly when I eat my dinner, I never want to eat the same dinner two or three nights in a row. Dogs and cats are not like that. They don't kind of crave variety or treats in the same way that we do. Um, they are really, really creatures of habit and their GI tracts, their guts, their intestines are really set up to, you know, intake the same thing pretty much every day. So some dogs may tolerate scraps and they may not have upset tummies, but others will. And I think it's really important that, you know, scraps can vary wildly from something that might be nice and quite bland and well tolerated on the tummy, for example, chicken breast that was either boiled or dry roasted. But it could go right up to something like sausages, which are really, you know, quite a fatty meat or bacon. And they can cause lots of problems like pancreatitis and very, very sore tummies and sometimes not such good outcomes and a very, very ill pet. Just be careful. So I, I would say it's best avoided. OK, this is from Sean. Hi, Jane. My dog is constantly licking its paws. Any advice, please? A friend said to try an injection called Cytopoint. OK, so... This little pet sounds like it's really itchy. Um, and I think really, really well done to the listener for, for noticing that, you know, he's licking a lot more than usual. Although it's not an itching or a scratching like we classically expect, pets will generally lick what's easily available to them. And generally that's their front or their back feet. And that can generally be a sign that they're really quite uncomfortable or an itchy. So I would say the first protocol that you need to tackle here is taking your pet to the vet to confirm that there's not something that's very easily treatable. For example, a parasite infestation that can be solved easily. Other than that, it could be a multitude of things. It could be bacterial overgrowth. It could be a yeast overgrowth. It could be an environmental allergy. And they're really, really quite common at this time of year because there's lots of pollens out. And I know certainly the hay fever sufferers will be feeling it at the moment. And dogs are similar in a way, but it really depends on what they're allergic to. Cytopoint, as their friends suggested, it is a prescription only medicine. Um, it is suitable in some situations for some types of itching, for some causes that are allergy based. But in other cases, it may not be helpful. So I think the really important thing is that, you know, with itch, it's not a one size fits all approach. It's really, really personal and really depends on exactly what's causing that itch underlying. So it really will be best to present to your vet, tell them what's been going on. They'll do a full physical exam. They might need to take some samples to have a look at under the microscope to, to see exactly what's going on. But that'll really get you a lot closer to, to getting some comfort and a solution for your pet. 
Okay, actually, just I think you might have hit on somebody's asking about hay fever. Uh, a 15 month old Labrador sneezing when out walking in the countryside could have been hay fever. It never happens when at home, and they took him to the beach yesterday and he was fine out this morning in the countryside and sneezing again. Is it hay fever? It could be something similar. So generally with pollens and allergies, dogs will actually present with skin complaints is generally what they will present with. Because, you know, if they're running around and their feet are touching or their body is touching the pollens and the the different kind of environments around them, generally it's their skin that will act up. But never say never. Certainly it will be a lot more uncommon for a pet to present with allergy signs and kind of respiratory symptoms like sneezing or runny eyes, but in the way that we normally do with hay fever. But never say never. If it's very situational and it sounds like it is, it's going on walks, but not on the beach. It could well be an allergen to a pollen that's out there at the moment. So maybe just change up where you're going for your walk. If you you didn't have signs when you were at the beach, that sounds like a good shout. Okay, Eileen in Dunamore has a nine month old Maltese slash Bichon Freeze cross pup. She gets carsick even on the shortest of trips. Uh, would Jane have any advice, please? Ah, oh, this is really tough. I've actually encountered this personally myself as well once, and it can be really frustrating. Obviously, you don't want your pet to be feeling sick, but on the flip side of it, then you have the a messy car to clean up very frequently, so it is tough. I suppose the most common thing that people talk is getting them used to really, really short car trips. And I don't kind of mean 15, 20 minutes. I mean literally drive to the end of the road for 30 seconds and come back. Um, And doing that very frequently over months can sometimes help to acclimatise them to it and slowly increasing the distance up so that they're in there for, let's say, after a month or two for five minutes and then 10 minutes and 15 minutes. So you're slowly building up their tolerance. Some things that can help are trying out different positions in the car. I know that with my own dog, if they're sitting in the back, they really struggle. But if they're if they're clipped in with a safe, uh, a dog safe harness into the front, they struggle a lot less. Um, But it's really important just to make sure that they're nicely secured and obviously not going to cause any difficulty with the driver. So I'd normally recommend that you can get you can get little harnesses that are specifically made for the car and they will plug into the seatbelt. So it keeps your pet nice and secure and avoids them from wandering over near the driver. But also that can sometimes help to stabilize them a little bit. Um, So try out different positions in the car. Some of them will be happier kind of in the footwell. Some of them will be happier in the boot. Some of them are happy sitting on the seat. So try a few varieties and you may find your pet is a little bit better at one than the other. And then it's best to stay to that and try and increase their tolerance with time car sickness tablets are available for pets if you really need to go on kind of a a one-time special journey they're not something i'd recommend every day they are prescription only and if i'm honest they work out quite expensive um, to be using it for an everyday car trip so really just working on their long-term tolerance is best and and you know as with humans it's hard to know why car sickness affects some dogs as opposed to other dogs and and i'm assuming Absolutely. symptoms are similar because i remember as a child and i just grew out of it thankfully i was desperate for car sickness would do dogs actually get sick with car sickness can it get as bad as that they- Exactly, they can do oh. so very similar to ourselves. They experience kind of a, quite a lot of nausea, emotion, illness, and they, they can get sick. I know my own little dog, Margot, when she was a puppy, she would get very car sick. Even if we were only driving five minutes, she'd have done a little vomit in the back, bless her. So she she's an awful lot better now. Now she'll right. go for hours at a time and long drives and she's very happy. So, okay, but just hey, build, no, don't, build don't up the hope. tolerance. And it's only, nine, it's only a nine month old. You can build it up over time. Exactly. Okay, hi, question please for, uh, for Jane, your vet. We 
we have a five year old Cocker Spaniel who's house trained but recently at night goes to the toilet inside now it's mostly very soft runny stools can be a bit slimy is it something we need to worry about his appetite is fine active as ever but just we've noticed this and was completely house trained but just all of a sudden Okay, so yeah, this is an interesting one. I think I would be especially concerned, but I do think you need to maybe seek the attention of your vet. It sounds like there could be something going on. Um, certainly becoming unhouse trained is generally a sign that the pet will want to do its business outside, but they might get caught short. So given that the stool is maybe a little bit softer than normal, a little bit slimy, it may be that they're having kind of an increased sense of urgency. So they feel like they need to poo all of a sudden and there's not a lot that they can do to, to help it. Um, so that is a change for your pet. And what I'll always say is, you know, if it's a change for your pet, then it's something that needs investigation. It could become something simple like a dietary change, um, parasites, worms, or it could just be a little bit of kind of intestinal upset that could be settled down. But I do think you need to present to your vet. One really helpful thing is if you take a photo of the poo or even better, if you can bring in a little sample of the poo for your for your vet just to have a little look at the consistency of that's a really helpful thing to bring along to an appointment. God, don't you have a great job. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Just before lunch. All right, listen. Yeah. <laughs> Enjoy the fine weather, uh, Jane, and we'll talk to you next Thursday. I will. Thanks Thank for that. Bye bye. That is uh, Jane Pickett. And apologies if anybody was sitting down for lunch at that moment in time. Uh, Jane is with the Island Wood Veterinary Hospital in Newmarket, which is part of the Mill Street Veterinary Group. And when I mentioned the, was it uh, Kate in Passage West at half one in the morning, half one last night? into the early hours of this morning she saw this bright light in the sky white with a little tail moving across the sky slowly I was wondering what it was and I said that sounds to me like it's the space station and uh, Donny a man in the know says Patricia the space station is visible alright this week tonight it's said to be visible at six minutes past uh, 11 and it will be visible over Ireland for six minutes and for anyone that wants to track where the space station is and when the space station is over Ireland you can do so on a NASA website it's called spotthestation.nasa.gov so that's spotthestation.nasa.gov but if you want to take a look and at the same time if it's the cloud pushes away you'll be able to see the, this just amazing moon that is out at the moment but six minutes past 11 Tonight, the space station will be flying over Ireland and it will be visible for about six minutes. Thank you to Doni. Texting to 0862. 103 103. That's where I leave you for today. Thanks to Bernie Murphy for producing. Nick Richards with you for the afternoon. Talk to you tomorrow. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.